And welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah Kester, your host here at the Green Majority, uh, one of the hosts, also doing double duty as tech. I'm sitting in the studio, uh, well, technically through some bulletproof glass from Stefan and Dave. And it's good that it is because we brought our six shooters. There yeah, you go. <laughs> um, uh, and as of usual, uh, just keeping you up to date with my personal life because, you know, whatever. Uh, tomorrow is my last day of school. Yeah. Woo. Hooray. So it also means that is also my that's my pre-congratulations to myself. And, and I'm sure by all of our listeners are very excited for me and my personal journey of life. Definitely. Uh, but more importantly, that also means that I'm going to start paying the slightest bit of attention again starting uh, tomorrow afternoon. So that being nice. said, I am not paying attention. What's going on, guys? Uh, well, uh, the world is falling apart. As usual, as we uh, repeat every single week. Yes, exactly. Well, there, occasionally we've had a couple shows where we've we've begun with well, no, we've always started the world's falling apart, and then we sometimes give good news about that, and sometimes bad news. Mm. Um, and this week's a whole host of of, of news on a, on a variety of topics. Uh, but starting starting with uh, the cyclone in uh, I die. So, Dave, let's start there. No, the cyclone is called the E die. Sorry. Uh, So uh, Eric Holthouse published an article a week ago in Grist showing how the massive cyclone Edai, or at least as uh, one uh, source told me it was pronounced, that's all I can say, possibly the largest of its kind ever in the Southern Hemisphere, displays in full measure the fundamental injustice of climate change. Three million people have suffered the cyclone's effects thus far in Mozambique, Malawi, and Zimbabwe, and at least one city has been almost entirely destroyed. Holthouse claims that um, the cyclone is not a natural disaster, but that its severity was manufactured by climate change, colonialism, and international injustice. Sea levels, for instance, have risen by a foot in the area, making the coastal flooding much worse. He also points out that dramatic shifts between heavy rain and drought conditions and back again means that the dry soil doesn't absorb the water quickly enough, causing it to run off into other areas. Our warming atmosphere is holding water for longer and so keeping things very dry until they finally release in torrential downpours, an illustration of the intensification of weather patterns caused by climate change. Holthouse points to the four centuries of colonial slaving, mining, and plantations followed by revolutionary wars and dictatorships that have left the area very poor and unable to rebound from climate events like Edai. These countries didn't produce the emissions that are causing climate change, which is why climate reparations have been called for by poorer countries to help them adapt. Holthouse concludes, quote, The international community has a responsibility to immediately aid Mozambique and the rest of the region with food, water, shelter, and medicine, now. And it can't stop there. We owe it to the people on the front lines of climate change to break the cycle of extreme poverty we've helped perpetuate. Cyclone Edai should be a sobering reminder that in many parts of the world, people don't have the luxury of ignoring climate change. Its destruction is already here. Yeah, so uh, this is like... This is obviously just a unmitigated disaster, um, and it. But it does. It, it brings up a couple, couple things as 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 Eric Holdhouse sort of pointed out, which is first that, you know, that there are. This is happening now, and it's happening everywhere. Um, and and if you and it's very easy to sort of you know the flooding in Nebraska might be getting currently more of the news um, about uh, about these types of things. But you know here is a, a city, uh, Barra, a city of five hundred thousand people uh, lost ninety percent of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's that is that's Hamilton. You know that is that is a that is a huge city. Surely Hamilton is more than five hundred thousand. 
I don't know if that's important in this particular. <laughs> topic. Um, Nor do I have any clue. Oh, well, there we go. Um, but I, you know, I think what's important here is 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 that a this is happening right now and everywhere, uh, but b sort of the larger context that that this particular. Uh, event sits within in within the world currently um, and and within the sort of larger conversation about climate change because as, as uh, you know as as the as the article sort of pointed out you know this is this is an example of a how some people don't get the option of ignoring it you know the people who live uh, currently you know in the in these areas uh, in Mozambique and Malawi and Zimbabwe right now uh, like 1.7 million of them are being affected by this mm-hmm. that's an astounding number uh, and and they don't have the they don't have a, they don't have a choice to, to 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 ignore it and so the so there's a, there's a privilege there uh, for the people who live in places where they can ignore it mm-hmm. at, at first but I, but I think that that to me actually opens up a larger piece about the one of the central injustices about climate change um, is the fact that it's not just some places are going to be a more harder hit than other places it's also that many people don't have the ability to move. Uh, and and to, yeah. and to tie back to last week's conversation, you know that that exists both within a global atmosphere, you know, in which in which capital can move around the world quite quickly, and so it can keep going, whereas people don't have the same same ability. Uh, you know, the there was a there's a there are migrant uh, justice workers uh, protesting across all of Canada uh, yesterday, uh, and and one of the message and, and part of that was to draw the light on how many migrant workers are coming to Canada and are not being given the ability to stay. You know, they're literally coming in, they're taking care of our children, they're they're picking up the crops, and then they're but they're being given no path to citizenship, uh, which is which is you know fundamentally unjust. We it, want it, citizens who have money. Well, exactly. You know, and that's the tiered that's the tiered immigration system for you, and um, also skills that we then don't put to use, like <laughs> doctors and so forth. Well, yes, the and 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 all of this highlights the fact that you know it's not just like as 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 climate change makes areas more or less able to to respond. Um, the the que- the fundamental question of, of of dealing with that is: Can you then allow them to move? You know, uh, it's it, it, and, and, and fundamentally, currently, the answer for most of individuals is no. No. You know, and, and and that exists not only again in a in a worldwide view, which is which is most stark, I would say. Uh, you know, the the fact that you have this, the, the 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 fact that you know that so many people are restricted in their movement because of their passports, uh, is 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 part of this conversation. Has to be part of this conversation. Because, you know, if your home is wiped out and you cannot go to another, a better place, despite how much you want to, that is going to be a thing. That, like, that's a conversation about climate refugees. Um, and that will exist. And, and, so, and so that means that a response to climate change has to include that answer. You know, it cannot just be like, oh, we'll all just decarbonize, but everyone has to stay where they are. Because staying where they are is not going to be an option. And I just wanted to play my my normal role as jumping in to highlight things. I just wanted to highlight, and I, I know obviously I'm not correcting you, Stefan, but I'm just uh, highlighting for the listener as well that when we're talking about like climate refugees, a lot of like North American uh, middle class, upper class people may, you know, they think move, they think, oh, that's such a hassle. I have to get a moving truck. They don't think I have to like wrap all of my belongings in garbage bags and and walk for 400 miles with my family and and potentially starve to death, right? Like, let's be really clear about what we mean about migrants and potentially attempt to climb massive, uh, wall, massive uh, barriers 
They might have to climb a, a giant uh, American southern border wall, for instance. Mm-hmm. But well, and, and and this is and the thing is like it's it's not even just like what's, what's it's not even just the fact that this is again is international migration. This is also within within country migration. You know, that, like to 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 flip back to uh, the conversation we had last week. Um, in regards to say the, the people who have to live in the in the floodplains of Houston, um, you know, at, when you're in these places where where when you're in, like even within uh, within nations, there are areas that are going to be much more susceptible to climate change, um, and and the question of can you afford to leave those areas will be is a fundamental question, and and so to and so to not allow people to be able to move out of their own their own areas. Uh, is 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 again a central part of this injustice. It's not just the fact that they're unable. Just the, it's not just like trying to get from one country to the next. It's not trying to skip anything. It's that it's fundamentally the question of can you move is 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 a fundamental question that that climate change solutions has to address. Yeah. You either have to mitigate. Uh, you have to do a lot, well. You have to mitigate no matter what. You also have to create adaption strategies, but you also have to ensure that there's a place for the people to move if they want to. Right. Also, just uh, one uh, continued uh, emphasis. Uh, if you're a uh, in San Francisco working at a giant tech company, uh, you know, moving again, hassle. If you're a subsistence farmer, you know, just to even put even more emphasis, you know, I was talking about uh, poverty and, and conditions and whatnot. But if you're like literally a farmer, you can't just move, you know, two miles over. Right there, there is no moving if you're a subsistence farmer or a farmer for economic benefit. Yeah. Well, yeah, when, and, and that's the fundamental thing about 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 land, right? Is is that if you like in in places where you can afford land, like increasingly land that is that is vulnerable to these disasters will become increasingly cheap, and land that is more protected will be increasingly more expensive, and and that will only further create a divide between the people, and then the people who will have the money are the people who are moving to to more climate protected areas, which then means they are less and incentivized to actually solve the problem yeah and then uh, sorry no our position is like we've played a major role in helping your um place become unlivable but you can't move here and this isn't just with climate change this is with all of our political meanderings especially the united states well exactly exactly you know this is you know this is a it's the consistent perpetuation of this of the of this sort of you know colonial mindset that we can move wherever we want and take over. So it's the reason why there's expats are just people from Western nations in other nations, whereas everyone else is an immigrant. You know, it's mm. it's a complete it's we've we've even done it with our language. Yeah. Expats. Uh, Hideous yeah. term, I yeah. think. And 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 so this is the and so this I think is is what's so important about this is that when we talk about, you know, climate change, it has to be it is it is interlinked uh, inextricably in my mind from from migrant justice um, and, and 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 from and, and therefore on that front uh, from anti-racism efforts because because these are all these are all tied in in, in in quite together and so the only real answer here is something that sort of addresses in some ways the underlying question of all of these things um, and and that is why sort of these larger scale ideas end up being so attractive to people because they actually sound like something that might address the scale of the problem. What you know? larger scale ideas? Well, something like the Green New Deal, mm. you know, that fundamentally aims to change at, you know, multiple systems at once, you know, that aims to, 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 to flip in, in many ways many of the different parts of the system at the same time. Um, and, and again, no, no particular individual policy is going to be a, is going to be a cure-all but I think that is a, a central part of this whole thing which is that you really cannot say you're you're like if you are 
like if you're a climate denier, then you're obviously like at that point at this point you're just advocating for the deaths of billions of people. Um, if you're a if you're a person who believes in climate change but thinks the solution is exclusively you know build a bunch of renewable energy um, and and forget any other systematic change, then I have bad news for you. Uh, Bitcoin has has recently started. Bitcoin mining currently takes up as much energy as the world's solar creates, and so the same scale as solar sort of expanded, Bitcoin mining expanded, and therefore the quest to make money invisible, make fake money, uh, which sure can, which has a volatile, which you know has. A, I'm not going to get into Bitcoin because I find it so frustrating, but. Um, but the fact that that quest for fake money, um, uh, which you can submit on things, I know, please don't blow up my Twitter. Um, but like that quest is now using up as much energy as the world put on in solar capacity. Simply because of all the coding that has to be uh, done to guarantee the authenticity of the Bitcoin. Well, because the whole concept is extremely difficult, uh, you know, extremely difficult mining. The mining of it is, is just basically running computational programs. Yeah. So it's incredibly yeah. powerful. Uh, power intensive. Yeah, it's very similar to fishing. I just want to. Uh, we're not gonna. I don't want to sidetrack into a Bitcoin, but the, just to just to nip the most common incorrect counterargument to what you were just mm -hmm. saying, Stefan. Just to nip that in the bud real quick. Be like, well, energy efficiency is no. All studies, every assessment that has ever been done shows the obvious thing happens, which is that when computation power gets less energy intensive, people convert that to more mining. Energy consistent is constantly increasing in the Bitcoin market. Constantly, there is no decreases. Full stop. Don't email us. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so this and so this is it. Like the solution is the solution cannot be a purely technological one because because that is not going to get us where we need to go. Um, and and so and so if you're in that middle group of people being like, yes, we can keep everything the same except just you know electrify everything, um, and and you know and and then everyone will be fine again. Um, realize that that. A actually is a strategy. Is what we've been trying to do for twenty five years. It hasn't really worked. Um, but B as a actual response is still dooming a pretty high significant number of people to a to a to a life of of, of distress. Um, and and so and so the the I think what's leading everyone to this sort of concept of a a better future. And, and, and a truly transformational change is that they're seeing now all of these different things that are linked and tied together. And, and what we're getting now, uh, especially with the, within our political climate, feels like, to me at least, that you have these ambitious ideas that people are coming out with that are unquestionably difficult, would unquestionably take sacrifice, would be a significant amount of effort to actually steer us onto the right course. But the other side is quite legitimately just saying – no, you know, like the 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 right wing is so bereft of on solutions to inequality and climate change right now that that there's no other that that the answer is it has to be the only one we're planning for, right? The only one we're building up, the only the only society that that, that actually takes these monumental tasks into perspective uh, and tries to do something with it. And so, and so, like this hurricane, uh, or sorry, cyclone, sorry, um, is is one example 
but of 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 it be of the injustice of not being able justice of being where you are you know the fact that the southern hemisphere is going to feel this more heavily um and and that and then the northern hemisphere parts of the northern hemisphere might actually see some brief uh advantages um is is itself a a part of this but the bigger question is what how do you respond to letting people actually move how do you let people respond to following their own natural desire for for a life where they can be have a steady place to live you know that isn't being flooded all the time by the way uh, i'll just point out that you were right hamilton has around 540,000 people in it well there you go so biera and mozambique imagine the entire city of Hamilton, or 90% of Hamilton being flooded and people standing on the roofs of their houses clinging to trees yeah. and then having to go somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And then where do they go, right? And and, and, like, and and that's just a fraction of the people affected by the cyclone. Right, exactly. Yeah, 1.7 million total. And, and then people from Toronto saying, no, you can't come here, which would also happen. Well, exactly. And, and, and also, and we are not designed, even the city of Toronto, which, you know, again, exists within all the affluence we have, can barely manage the set of people, we, like, we, we cannot manage the fact that we have a housing crisis as already, let alone if 500,000 people down the road got, you know, this is this is the injustice of all of this, is that we can, we've not built systems that are resilient for our own people currently. And so the idea that, you know, that 5,000, 100,000 Hamiltonians might have to move into Toronto would even for a city like Toronto, which is with, with all the money and all the, all the cranes in the sky, still can't, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to deal with that. You know, and that is the central problem here, is that we've created these very, with all the affluence, we've still created very frail systems. And, and it's like, maybe we should take some of the affluence and actually build systems that could take some actual, to get, that could really hold a community at times they need it. Um, but we're getting up to the break, so I just want to we'll throw to a music break and, and have a second as Saren gets ready there. Yeah, so quickly, let me just clarify that I was throwing shade at uh, my fellow Torontonians, not uh, our friends over there in Hamilton, just to, just to be clear. Uh, we're going to come back with some, uh, some news on Donald Trump, uh, some microplastics. Um, and, and the Sea Jesus of, of Galilee. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, exactly. Yeah, so, which, uh, we'll tease that one. Uh, but Saren, what do we got for music first? Just like children sleeping We could dream this night away The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5. I got tongue-tied. CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as our 0.01% more appreciated podcast listeners. You can become part of the 0.01% more appreciated by going to greenmajority.ca and getting the podcast direct. Uh, because uh, I don't, I think Dave put some secrets in there or something. There's, yeah, those are for the invisible ghostly Martians that listen weekly. There you go. Yes, if you would like to be, uh, uh, what is it, when they put like little sounds and things where it like brainwashes you, that's in there. So if you're interested in being brainwashed by the Green Majority, uh, listen now, greenmajority.ca. Uh, back to the news uh, with Stefan. Yeah, uh, you know, let's start Let's start with uh, Jesus of Nazareth. What do you think? All right, we, fine. Yeah, you know, you're teasing me, Stefan. You're sorry. teasing the audience and you're teasing me. Sorry. All right. Uh, so the holy waters that uh, Jesus himself walked across and was baptized in have been running dry for five years as the region has been sunk in its worst drought in a century. And the Sea of Galilee has been at its lowest ever since scientists started taking records in 1920. Water levels have climbed slightly due to recent rainfall in the winter months, but the area is still in critical condition. The sea is in fact a freshwater lake, 
but it's been getting saltier from underground saltwater streams without enough melting snow or much rain to replenish it. The Israeli Water Authority pumped 17,000 tons of salt out of the lake just last year. The Guardian quotes Israeli Water Authority spokesperson Uri Shor as stating, quote, We know, because of climate change, that this area will get less and less rain, because that's been the trend for the past 30 years. The Sea of Galilee is so important that some Israeli media provide daily reports on its water levels. The River Jordan running through the lake is critically low as well, with fecal content six times higher than what is generally acceptable, and as we've seen worldwide, large algae-like aquagreen bacteria is spreading over the lake. Climate change could eventually render the lake undrinkable, since the water level has been hovering just above a threshold that, if dipped below, could cause irreversible changes in salinity and bacteria content. Galilee was outfitted with a massive and intricate piping system by Zionists in the 1920s, but is no longer supplying any meaningful amount of water <clears throat> to southern Israel since it began to run dry. Israel, rather, which is a world leader in desalination, is now attempting to reverse the flow of that piping system to deliver desalinated water from the Mediterranean in order to replenish Galilee. The drought is exacerbated by the ongoing wars, which is causing Syria, Jordan, and Israel to consistently draw their maximum share. Israel shares extra water with Jordan as part of a diplomatic agreement stemming back to the 90s, and it may increase that supply in exchange for Jordanian solar power. The Palestinian authorities penned in and brutally controlled by Israel and its allies, are left with chronic water shortages and expensive private water services. 95% of the Jordan River's historical flow has over the past 50 years been diverted from its course for agricultural use, and Galilee has been dammed up for years for its protection, rendering the river a measly stream fed by three small pipes, two of which release water, and one releases treated sewage. So the torrential river that baptized Jesus has been reduced to a trickling yellowish stream at its connection with Galilee. Yeah, and so this is obviously part of a, a trend that we've seen. Uh, you know, we covered uh, day zero in South Africa, uh, Cape Town specifically, uh, a couple months ago. And so it 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 is in as you expected, or as as predicted by by climatologists, the you're seeing you know you're seeing either. It's it's when they say more rain or less rain, it's actually the difference is is actually just those longer periods of droughts and then and then more rain certain times. That's the sort of that's when you, moving to more extreme weather. That's really what you're seeing is is that you just you're, it's the it's the it's the dosage you know and and that's and, and there's a there's a medicine uh, you know concept about how. Uh, everything is everything is a dose. Everything's about dosage rather than it itself, right? Like if you take too much of anything, it's a it's a poison, and, and not enough of something, it's not a it's not a medicine. You have to take the right amount of things. Um, and in the same is about the same as water. The same is true about rain and waterfall. That that a every you can get the same you can have the same amount of rain per year, but if it comes in three downpours rather than spread over whole whole year, you have a very very different experience. Well, and as we mentioned with the last story. Uh, if the soil is dry, then it doesn't absorb quickly. 
and it runs off in floods. Well, exactly. Yeah. And so you're, you're really experience, what you're, you're, you'll experience is, is, is that that's also why global averages or average across years don't tell the whole story, right? In that, in that you can, the average may not change, but it, if you're getting it at certain times, like in, in, then what you're getting basically is a series of floods and then dry rather than a sort of, you know, what you actually need to, to grow things to live, which is a sort of consistent overarching response. Uh, and that's also end up, ends up feeding, you know, feeding these, these tributaries and these rivers. And, and, you know, like we covered, I think even a year and a half ago about how the Nile is struggling, you know, and, and again, all of this is you know, to, to really tie back to the last story. All of this, again, is in some way affected by this level of imperialism that you see within, within the wars that are going on in the area, right? Like it's, it's, it, the, it's, it all connects back, uh, to this sort of, to, to this, to this sort of fundamental first problem, um, of, of of the imperialism required in in or imperialism required in, in capitalist states to 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 control resources domination and control yeah, yeah. and you know and there's was, there was a really good uh, there's a good tweet I saw recently which was highlighting the question it was like the, it was waiting for people to when climate change got so bad that people couldn't uh, couldn't not couldn't ignore it. They were like, "Stop waiting for the people who are climate deniers to to experience that, and then and then you know, and then admit they're wrong. They won't. They will just switch and become eco fascists. You know, like they're not they're not going to admit they're wrong. They're just going to then use the lack of water, lack of other things, to justify their 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 dominance once more. Mm. Right? That's that's the flip. that's going to happen. You're not going. They're not all going to be like, "Oh no, we're sorry. What do you guys think?" That's not the move. You know, they're the ones who have the resources. They're going to continue trying to control all the resources. It just will switch from oil to water. Well, as we know, after uh, trickle down economics was uh, proven to be false, so we we abandoned that idea completely. Right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, we joke, we jest. Um, but like, and the last thing I will very quickly, I will say is that, uh, before we go on to, uh, to, to whichever we want to do next, um, algae blooms are my dark horse for Armageddon. Uh, they, they keep coming up in like little ways and we have like, everyone's going to have a little story. I mean, this isn't technically algae. Oh, okay. It's algae-like bacteria. It okay. looks kind of like algae. All right. So, so maybe I don't know if is... any of it's really algae, but it's it's happening on freshwater lakes. Yeah, it's happening everywhere. Is it like blue-green algae? Did, did you see blue-green? <laughs> blue-green <laughs> algae-like bacteria. So yeah, yeah. So that's a, I I read a really cool. I'm gonna see if I can try and find it. We'll put it on the show post. A really cool uh, f- uh like t- real-world fiction, like like fiction. So, but not like sci-fi or anything like that. Based all on science about a terrorist attack using blue-green algae. So I mm-hmm. learned a, a whole bunch about that. It's actually really fascinating. But yes, it's not technical. Algae. Yeah. All right. So maybe that's it. Uh, it's hard to say exactly, um, but like the number of times we come across this sort of additional thing about algae blooms and or, or algae-like materials showing on fresh water all across the world is as as things get hotter is consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, as a as a dark horse for an Armageddon con- concept, bacterial overgrowth. But let's let's that's we got a couple more stories. So let's uh, let's let's move on. You want to do the Trump thing? Uh, why not? Or let's, why don't we stick with water though? All right. Let's, let's stick with water. All right. I'm going to stick with water. So underwater wildfires, Stefan. Yes, I saw that. When you read this first, I was sort of like, I I did a double take. Underwater wildfires. Okay. Underwater wildfires are on the rise in the oceans as heat waves are destroying swaths of plants and corals at a single stroke. Such species are known as foundation species because they provide the base nourishment of large and interconnected ecosystems. The heat waves even behave like wildfires, spreading faster than fish can outswim them. A new study is showing that the number of ocean heat waves, uh, heat wave days, tripled from 2014 to 2016, and have risen 50 percent over the past 30 years. The Guardian quotes Professor Malin Pinsky, 
quote, this research makes clear that heat waves are hitting the ocean all over the world. The ocean, in effect, is spiking a fever. These events are likely to become more extreme and more common in the future unless we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The study itself states, quote, Marine heat waves, which will probably intensify with anthropogenic climate change, are rapidly emerging as forceful agents of disturbance with the capacity to restructure entire ecosystems and disrupt the provision of ecological goods and services in coming decades. So to confirm, there's no actual fire. This is a metaphor. Yes. The, yes. But it's heat waves in the ocean heat, yes. that, that behave like wildfires because they spread rapidly and destroy large areas at, in their, in right. their movement. Right. Um, and so, so that is a – it is uncommon, I will say on this show, uh, that we cover something I have not heard of before. And mm. I will fully admit this this underwater heat wave phenomena is something something new to me. Yeah. So you don't just have – I mean the ocean is warming up generally. Right. But, but the, this phenomenon have, of these heat waves in, in pocketed areas right. are likened to wildfires. Right, which, which again is a thing that I didn't even know about and apparently also was going wrong. So it's always good to cover those kinds of stories. Um, and and the, the one thing again here to remember is just how important oceans are in regards to stopping climate change. Like, me, like oceans are the uh, – are, like a large percentage of the absorb absorbing of of CO two emissions, um, they take up an incredible amount of it, and and they're acidifying because of that. And if oceans stop, if, if oceans stop absorbing carbon, it is over. Like it is, it's not even close. Like there's no way we can create a big enough sink on, on land to replicate what oceans are currently doing. It is in, in 2018 they absorbed the equivalent of 100 million Hiroshima bombs. Yes. Of heat energy. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, then there's just no way we can create that on land. So like we have to protect our oceans. And and unfortunately, and part of the answer in this is, again, is, is literally just producing em emissions. Right. That's what this is all about. Like especially with, with regards to acidification and regards to, to ocean heat waves. That's that's it. We just have to quickly reduce emissions. Um, but let's uh, let's move on to uh, to another story. So I'm going to continue with the water. All right. Um. 80 tons of oil spilt from a bulk tanker off the coast of the Solomon Islands has ruined the local way of life, ending swimming and fishing and shell collecting indefinitely. The crystal clear blue waters are now black and studded with dead fish. The locals of Rennell Island must now rely on food deliveries from the capital. Fresh water supplied from nearby springs are also contaminated, and people are having to consume rainwater instead. On top of the shortage of food and water, the oil burns the skin of some residents trying to clean it, and others are sleep-deprived from the scent. This reminds me exactly of uh, when those, what was it that was the sargassum washed up right. on those islands in the Caribbean and yeah. burned people and uh, melted uh, electronic equipment and went out and uh, in, uh, emitted a putrid stench. Right, yeah. And I should note that, like, that this is, this is, uh, this is, even when you, when you're discussing the concept of any um, any of these types of of of, of these of these externalities of of oil, you know th that it's unbelievable that this is not just like the, there's the there's the overarching externality that is the destruction of 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 the climate, you know emissions. that the emissions and, and and all that, and then there's these. And then there's the, you have to remember just how many of these types of, 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 of spills are happening in 
uh, all the time, everywhere. And like 80 tons is, you know, despite like you, you just heard how much destruction it's currently causing for, for the Solomon Islands, but 80 tons in comparison to other spills is actually quite small. You know, like, uh, does anyone remember that a 210 ton spill occurred in Newfoundland in November? It did. I don't it, even recall that. Exactly. <laughs> and, that's, and that's almost three times the size of this oil spill, right? Like, um, or, 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 even, or even, you know, and then you get to other things like the Keystone Pipeline, which isn't even fully built yet, had a spill of 680 tons last year. You know, like, or not fin- finished building it. There's, they're, you know, linking it, obviously. But, like, these are things, like, and these are, like, these are things that we remember for half a second and then lose. And then only the truly gigantic disasters do we do really stick in our mind. And then still, you know, you get conversations like, uh, like, the you know the liberal government is still pushing to get this pipeline built, which will massively increase tanker traffic in an area that is as concerned, that is as, you know, as at risk to these types of spills as the Solomon Islands. Yes. You know, the way of life on Vancouver and in the, in the, in, in, on the coast of BC uh, would be destroyed by a tanker tri- spill of this nature. It's strange to me how haphazard this process is. We're just sort of digging up these fossils and then spilling it over the earth and ruining stuff. Yeah. It's... It- it's, it's, it's incredible, right? And, 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 and then there's, you know, and then you start looking at, you know, there's pretty good resources for tracking these spills in some ways. Um, and, and so you can, you can look into some of things. And then you start realizing some of them are just monumental. Like, uh, so I, 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 curiosity to sort of compare, I, I went, I started Googling what kind of size of oil spills there were uh, in the last couple of years. And, and one that I did not e- that I, I don't even know if we covered last year into January or I'm, and I'm forgetting or or somehow it slipped under radar. But there was a spill of a hundred and thirty eight thousand tons. So like we're talking about eighty tons from the Solomon Islands, which is you know totally mess- you know has basically destroyed their economy for for some time. Well, the 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 area in which it did spill, the, yes, not exactly. the entire Solomon Islands, right? The area in which it spilled. Um, and then picture the comparison of 80 tons to 138,000 tons. Where? Uh, on the East China Sea, uh, an oil, uh, there's an oil tanker uh, cl- crashed with, a, with, a, with a, another boat. And, and, so, and that was last year. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't like remember something from 15 years ago. This is something from last year. And so when you get to these questions of like, it's too expensive, it costs too much to solve this problem, we have to have pipelines, it must, we must get oil to market, this is, the, it is a requirement, we are not paying for this oil. Like, this oil is, like, we are, the people who are spilling it aren't, aren't, aren't paying to, to clean it up, it's just, it's, we're, just, we're just leaving it in the oceans half the time, um, and, and that is... A massive externality that we are just allowing to continue to exist, and and like forget the concept of trying to actually deal with you know the climate change part of this. Like there are just better solutions to when you, if you if if that if your boat falls over, you should not have to. It should not mean that you know a the economy of an entire area is 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 at risk, and and no one would accept that risk if if it didn't if it was if there was theirs to choose. You know, no one, no one on the BC coast it, it would would like to accept that risk. It's everyone else deciding that they can accept the risk. So to to flash back to last week's episode before we go to music break, um, 
the if you if you look at the the, you know, the, the conversation that 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 Saren had sort of put up uh, around uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez uh, grilling the CEO of of uh, Wells Fargo. Yeah. So Wells Fargo, you know, the CEO of Wells Fargo says something along the lines of, you know, that that the first half of the conversation is saying he does not believe uh, that 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 he is not responsible for ta- for, for, for dealing with it. As an investor. As an investor, not responsible for cleaning up any oil spills, but that when deciding to, to support it, uh, they decided the risk was, was, was fair. Uh, or the, the risk, they decided the risk was 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 worth it. Yeah, the, the really key, to, sorry, just, this is important. The key back and forth was the question that she proposes was, with knowing these risks to the environment, why did you go ahead? And his response was, because we decided that we could accept those risks. Yes. That's yeah. very important because he's talking about risks to him financially, whereas she's asking about risks to the community. And he literally has no answer. He says, it doesn't matter because our money was a safe bet. Well, and also he literally just said that the money also isn't at risk because, but, but this thing, the people who are making the decision to put these other people at risk uh, are allowed to do so because they know they won't be, they won't have to pay the full cost of cleaning up. And, and that's, that's the, that is the barest bones problem here is that the people making the decision to risk other people are not the people at risk at all. And, 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 and that is central to the entire conversation and it's central to the entire, entire thought process of then how do we deal with it, which is you have to start putting the power in the hands of the people who are actually accepting the risk. Uh, and if you don't, you're just going to get a bunch of solutions that don't actually address the fundamental problems of this. Um, because, you know, the people in the Solomon Islands who live in these houses that just got covered in oil and who cannot sleep don't get to move. And, and, and that is a system that's set up by the people who probably own the tanker that is going past the islands. And there have been nobler societies uh, in which those who start the wars are the ones who are expected to do the fighting. Right. And, but not ours. But not ours. Um, and so let's go to another music break, uh, and then we'll come back with the last couple of stories. All right. Uh, just super fast to add before I do that, I did a quick Google on my blue-green algae thing. Um, so the, the I was not able to confirm whether or not Sea of Galilee is blue-green algae, but blue-green algae uh, is, is, uh, happens when like farm runoff and waste uh, concentrate. So often that will happen at the end of like a sewer pipe or like a farm runoff. But uh, rapid water loss, i.e. a concentration of sediment, would theoretically, in my this is just my opinion, uh, would theoretically mimic that uh, response. So it could be. Uh, and why would that be dangerous? Well, uh, blue-green algae, uh, specifically as it replicates, produces a neurotoxin, as in it interrupts brain uh, function. So we actually had three uh, dogs died suddenly last year in Moncton, uh, very likely due to blue-green algae. And over the last two years, we've seen more and more warnings from the Canadian government regarding blue-green algae here in Canada. So even if that isn't the connection, probably is, even if it isn't still environment issue, still uh, uh, one that affects us both here and in Israel, even if that specific issue is not about it. I just wanted to add that because I was really curious. There in the street numbered days at our feet, a man putting coins in your hand. We are back. We're in the home stretch now. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 9.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, or our slightly 0.001%, slightly more appreciated podcast listeners. Why do we appreciate them slightly more, you might ask? Well, because we can track you and we're spies. We're creepy big data green majority over here. Uh, give us your data. With that, it's more news. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're going to start uh, with some microplastics. Yes. Um, little pieces of plastic smaller than five millimeters are now assumed to have contaminated almost every groundwater source in the world. 
as lakes and rivers studied across the globe were all found to contain some level of microplastic pollution. The most contaminated site was a river in the UK that was found to have over 1,000 little pieces of plastic per liter. In more remote places in the UK, two or three microplastic particles were found per liter. It's not known exactly what health and environmental impacts microplastics have, but they've been found to collect and carry harmful bacteria. Causes of microplastics are the breaking down of litter, but also synthetic fibers, tires, and plastic pellets used in manufacturing. Damien Carrington for The Guardian quotes lead researcher Christian Dunn, stating, quote, Microplastics are being found absolutely everywhere, but we do not know the dangers they could be posing. It's no use looking back in 20 years' time and saying, if only we realized just how bad it was. We need to be monitoring our waters now, and we need to think as a country and a world how, can we, how we can be reducing our reliance on plastic. As plastics campaigner Julian Kirby put it, quote, Microplastic has been found in our rivers, our highest mountains, and our deepest oceans. And, yeah, and so this is this is just, you know, it's one of the stories which covers a, uh, well, it really highlights just the, the, per, the pervasion uh, of, of, of humanity's influence. Pervasiveness? No, pervasiveness? I think I just made that word up. No, no, no. I'll per- Google it. Keep All right, this pervasiveness. Going. Pervasiveness would work um, of, of, of humanity's in- influence. You know, like we are... Um, it, it, the consistent response that I'd received, I've received from 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 people who sort of were against, who believe that climate change wasn't happening, the most consistent one I get is is from people who just truly believe that we as humans could not possibly have impacts on the globe on the Earth, like that's sort of on on the, on, a, on a spherical scale. The idea is that's so big that humans just couldn't possibly have that kind of influence. Um, and it's to me, it's it's stories like this that sort of you know put a put a gaping hole in. In, in that kind of story and lets all the hair out pretty quickly uh, because because it's not even it's not just the idea that that co2 can impact things like this is like this is literally the stuff we make is now everywhere thesaurus.com is recommending ubiquitous oh okay well let's go with ubiquitous ubiquitousness ubiquitousness um but that doesn't capture the spreading quality of it right yeah exactly um tune in next it week when we are a grammar show instead it, it also suggested omnipresent so you could say omnipresent and ubiquitous oh okay well i have so many <laughs> options um but but really this is like it's it's a it's a serious uh example of just how impo- like how fully fledged and how long it would take the earth to to heal from from us you know, like these are these things would take truly a we, we don't even know how long it would take to leave the to leave the actual atmosphere um, or, or, or oceans for the microplastics or, or, to break down. Microplastics break down. Yeah, exactly. Or or any of the things we're currently doing, you know, like it's 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 a complete mystery. But what's amazing to me is like we figured out that nuclear things were dangerous. And so we had it. So the plan was in place to ensure that they were always buried at a certain distance underground. And then, the, and then everyone's like, that's the one time people think like a hundred thousand years in the future. And so they have like created these signs that like look different, mm-hmm. that, that, that are pictograms in case English isn't a thing. Yeah. And yet, and yet, so we can think hundred thousand years for this one specific moment. And then when the concept is like, maybe we should stop just creating single use stuff and spreading it around the world. I was like, nah, well, we don't need to do that part of this. You know, it's like it's we have we have a very specific moment when thinking for the future is possible, and then the rest of the idea is sort of like, eh, it's fine now. 
Um, I think it speaks to the the fact that when it's you know it, when it's pervasive in our society, it's a lot easier. Or it's small and slowly grows, it's a lot easier to sort of let, see it happen. Whereas it's individualized, we can solve it. Uh, just for contrast, there a couple of years ago there was a really well done TV show. It was just modeling, but it was still really interesting because it was based on real modeling that they just added graphic design to. But it was uh, just to contrast to what you were saying as far as like you know, science, alien scientists will be able to detect humanity's impact for millions and millions of years. Um, but they what they were modeling just to compare that, and I think it's really interesting from like a uh, maybe even like a philosophical point of view um, is that it would only it would take less than a hundred years for nature to like if if all humans were raptured like you just took away all humans one day magically but left everything else how long would it take nature to reclaim like all our cities and stuff and it was like 120 years and you wouldn't even tell we were here so it's just a really interesting thing to like now of course I'm not saying all the buildings would literally be gone but like uh, the the uh, one of the things they talked about for instance was the uh, pounds of uh, pressure per square inch that roots actually can exert and it would really not take very long at all for like a small tree to rip down a skyscraper mm. uh, in the in the time scale of like nature uh, so I just think that's a really interesting contrast to think about right we can do invisible damage for so long but our actual things we mean to put here are so temporary and nature doesn't give a a hoot a poop about it <laughs> yeah the desert buried uranium tombs are a wonderfully poetic image of uh... of, 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 of our of our doomed future um, well, speaking of doomed futures, Donald Trump. Donald Trump's presidential administration is continuing to dismantle the prospect of environmental science at the Environmental Protection Agency, having flooded the place with fossil fuel industry lawyers, consultants, and executives, rolled back protections, and is now low-key trying to get its scientists to change their findings after discovering a link between air pollution and health problems, including cancer. Even though there has been a wealth of proof linking air pollution to early death, uh, some Trump appointers, uh, some Trump appointed advisors wanted to question even that long verified fact. Specifically, we're talking about what is called particulate matter, which are small solids and liquids that collect in the air from burning fuel. Studies about the health risks of such air pollution, which we breathe daily in the city, have been disputed by fossil fuel companies since the 90s, and, and now we have U.S. government officials still making those claims and muzzling their own scientists. Yeah, so if you wondered what the likelihood of, of, of drastic action immediately uh, would be, it's uh, basically zero. The This is the untold story, I think, of the, of, of the Trump uh, administration. Uh, well, you know, untold and relevant, and, and I guess in some ways, um, in comparison to some of the other more flashy stories of, of, of his experience is is really just the absolute denigration of of these larger industries you know the 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 consistent putting of of the of, of these people who have been regulated by these by these places uh, in positions of power to then systematically you know remove or, or like to destroy these agencies really um, or to vastly, vastly reduce their abilities um, is is something that is actually going to take much, much longer to fix. You know, it's it's one like you can get Trump out of there, and then you can have all the heads of these agencies replaced. But to actually replace the the institutional knowledge and the and the and the gaps in these types of things, um, you know, it's very similar to uh, in Canada how. Uh, how what, four more years uh, of Harper would basically have without without the census being uh, being re-added would have basically undone uh, you know decades of research 
um, or or when Ford came in and, and canceled the low income pilot or the, the guaranteed guarantee, guaranteed income pilot, once again that sort of undid again a whole set of research that w- that could have been done, which brought four thousand people out of poverty. Well, exactly, you know, and and would have shown and, and like it would have at least explained if this works or not right it's not just the fact that you're losing these it's not just the fact that you're that these four years are are not helpful you know it's not just the fact that like you sort of get stuck in this sort of time warp it's that good government takes a very long it takes a long time to build and and maintain and you have to keep building up these systems that that work you know no business would be run like a government no business would change its ceo every four years and then very quickly change drastic course cancel half the projects pay a bunch of money uh and then complain how about how bad it is you know it's 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 the concept that conservatives that the the, the, the right-wing mindset of treating a, a country like a business doesn't hold up when you actually picture the government the governments they run as a business you know, you, you, it's the, the idea of like, oh, we should sell all our profitable assets is not a thought that is had by 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 functioning successful businesses. But uh, oh, sorry, you brought up one of my favorite topics, huh. so I, I can't resist. Um, so one of the other things about that too is that even it, like you could actually make an argument. Uh, you could make the argument that uh, business experience did. Like I actually think you could make that argument. But here's the problem: the problem is who you think of in that metaphor as the customers. When Donald Trump and when the, the Starbucks CEO and any of these other rich clowns go and say, my business experience is why you should put me in power. Cool. Who are you treating as the customers? Because if you're treating your constituents as the customers, that means you're trying to uh, 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 get take advantage of them. I was going to use another naughty mm-hmm. word. Um Right. It, like if you're if you're thinking of your constituents as part of your company who you want to like maximize profit from your customers and those customers are like other states, we could have a conversation about that. I think it's a bad metaphor and I don't think it transfers, but we could have a conversation about that. But the problem is these people treat their constituents as the customers. The, the constituents are the people who are to be taken advantage of and maximized from. And that is what we don't need. And it, it just it just it's just not how you would you would run a business and, and or, or or so like to go back to this particular in, in instance of the EPA you know there the the EPA's responsibility is to is to you know is to protect the protect people who would be who would be harmed by the environment um, and so and in in these types of projects in these large scale projects is is very difficult like it, it, it it's actually you know, given this, imagine trying to imagine trying yourself to to run an agency that's goal was to ensure that everyone in America, so 350 million people, were protected from uh, from from all of these from from toxins that are being released. You forget the entire concept of of, of actual climate change and in, in things, just like just toxins. You know. It, when you look into it, how commonly, like I think we talked about this a year or two ago, most of these industries are being self-regulated, and so they are sending in their own people who are responding to this. And even and so that even and that was when it was sort of being funded. As you as you slowly start taking away these these larger and uh, larger bodies, you allow for the smaller and smaller, uh, more insidious types of corruption. You know the people dumping things in the back of in the in the in, the, in their backyard. Uh, the 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 people just getting away with you know, with 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 releasing extra emissions and not talking about the it. The coal ash making groundwater uh, toxic for he- massive communities. 
generally people of color. Well, and exactly, yeah. States. Well, and exactly, yeah. That you, you, you the, the the fact that these that these types of atrocities would also be more commonly in in poorer and more marginalized neighborhoods because they have the harder time to get press coverage, even. You know, and the fact that you sort of what we're losing is all of the watchdogs right now. You know, you're seeing local press is being is being decimated. You're seeing uh, you're seeing government agencies being rolled back and being reduced power. And so you get you get a question of how what's left for communities to fight back. You know, how are communities supposed to actually stop these big industries from just dumping the stuff down and then not being able to deal with it? Well, that's part of the horror show of this obsession with Donald Trump's porn stars and Russia Gate and all this other stuff. Um, the it's we entirely lose the narrative of what's actually being done by the administration as if just watching this bungling puppet man dance around well exactly yeah exa- like yeah we're, we're stuck on this question of whether or not you know of 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 of, of his larger policies which now can't well none of them will get passed because the democratic democratic, democratic house won't happen uh, and the question is basically will he get impeached while the epa and 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 you know in in the in the, in the Department of the Interior, especially, are a either being dismantled or are selling off land uh, to the highest bidder. You know, the, the Zinke has been when you when you when you look back on this this era, I think a fundamentally big big part of this question will be what some of these individual people did within their own spaces to 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 totally undermine uh, their their own agencies. Yeah. And all of all of the culturally accepted watchdogs, the media and the the comedians are all obsessed with Trump's stupidities and and uh, and uh, other stuff that has nothing to do with what's actually being done by his administration. Well, and and then to to put a final hole on it before we go to our last story for half a second, um, is 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 not is not only that. Yes, like the 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 watchdogs are getting assessed with this. It's also that the 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 response that that the, the, whether or not this happens or not, um, uh, e- or when we actually even do pay attention, say to something like the EPA, it's because of their own lead. It's, it's because of the it's because the department has its own scandals, yeah, right? He's by a bulletproof out, outlandish desk. kind of scandal. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's it's like almost like it's 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 this weird protection from being totally incompetent by being just also bafflingly incompetent in an entirely different way. You know, no one is no one's that no one was that mad that the head of the EPA was systematically deconstructing the whole thing and. And and basically stopping its job entirely and saying that they work for the oil and coal companies, which was happening. Everyone was mad that he spent three hundred thousand dollars on a bulletproof desk, which was ridiculous. But like, still, as a grand scheme of things, not nearly as bad as the other side. But the only thing that gets sort of clicks is the bulletproof desk, yeah, the soap opera that masks what's actually occurring. Exactly. Uh, but there's one more story, uh, so let's let's finish off with that. Yeah. So um, a cormorant was consumed by a massive drainage pipe known as the glory hole in California. The pipe only comes in handy on rare occasions when the reservoir goes above a certain level. The bird was floating, not realizing how close it was to the edge of the vortex until it was already being swallowed by it. And yet the bird came out the other side, miraculously battered yet alive. Wow. The, you know, the story of one bird's resiliency... Uh, through through, not knowing what was on the other side. One guy said, the guy who took the video said, no one thinks about anything entering this hole and coming out alive. Right. But here we have the vortex comes through for the cormorant, or the cormorant comes through for itself. 
through well, the vortex. That's a right. that's a nice place to end, guys. I, I like know. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, then. so well, if 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 dealing with climate change is, is a is a vortex uh, or a or or as they call it, the glory hole, uh, <laughs> let's hope we uh, come out the other side just like the cormorant. Right. And we'll have more synonyms for you next week, but that's all we have time for on this week. Thank you for listening to The Green Majority. I have been your host, Aaron Kaster. Thanks so much to Stefan and Dave and you, the listener, for listening. Uh, have a good green week, folks, and we'll see you all real soon.